Hey everyone, Daniel here. As I was going back this week to edit the podcast, I noticed that this sermon's audio file is blown out in a couple places. Sometimes this can happen when you have a new speaker and you're not quite sure um, how their voice behaves when they get excited or when they talk really quiet. And so the audio file for this sermon clips and peaks a couple places. So I just wanted to give everybody a heads up, especially if you're listening on in-ear headphones, that um, this might be a sermon that you want to save till you're either listening into like a car speaker or on your laptop speakers, or maybe you just need to skip this one altogether. That being said, we think this is a really good message brought to us by guest preacher Paul Verhoof, and we still wanted to make sure that it was available in a podcast form for those of you who this is a more uh, accessible and convenient way to listen to our sermons. Anyways, thank you for being patient with us and enjoy the rest of the sermon. My name is Paul Verhoof. I'm glad to be with you. Um, I am also glad to know that Dan knows how to help remove snow tires because I would like to help create some more snow soon by inviting my friend to come help me with my vehicles uh, and maybe store them in that shed. That could be great. Um, Take up less room in my garage. Um, I'm a friend of John. Uh, Van Sloten. I would like to consider myself that. I'll just name that. He's not here to deny it, right? Um, and I, I, uh, I'm never quite sure if I come with a reputation, um, but I'll create one right now. Um, I hear like one or two weeks ago, John preached on Esther. Is this right? And he might have talked about the challenge of preaching on Esther when you also have to tell the story of Esther first. And he may have told the story about how challenging that is, even for former colleagues of his who preached in a former church, New Hope, and took 25 minutes to tell the story of Easter before getting to the sermon itself. So it may have been me that received an email from John saying, 47 minutes, that's a lot, Paul Verhoof. So uh, you're lucky, my kids are here, and they never let me go for 47 minutes. Um, Anyway... That's, uh, I work as a chaplain, uh, one of the Christian chaplains at the University of Calgary, and I have for almost 18 years, um, and that has been a really unique calling for me. It's probably shaped more about how I see the world uh, than, well, than probably I know. Um, and maybe you'll, um, after today, you'll go, and he sees the world a little bit differently. Um, maybe. Um, yeah. That's maybe enough of an introduction. Any questions before we move on? I work in classroom settings sometimes, right? So, okay, good. All right, Um, let's pray, and then we'll look at Scripture, and then we'll talk together about uh, what that is and, and what we get to see about who God is through it. So join me in prayer. Creator, Redeemer, Sustainer, God who was and who is and who is to come, Thank you for uh, the way in which you have entered into the life of the world. Thank you in which, for the way in which even last, uh, maybe nine days ago, we remembered the way in which you took upon death for the sake of the world. But then out of that death came new life again. Today, may we be a part of those who hear not only the birds chirping around us, um, not only the, the life of this community that I've already experienced being here a little bit early, but may you also uh, invite us into a life where we get to see you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
All right, so um, the text this morning that we'll look at is uh, from the beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. The Beatitudes is the text. So I'll read it to you. Um, It may be quite familiar to some of us. Now when Jesus saw the crowds that had gathered, he went up on a hillside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And he said these things. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and who thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And this is the one we'll really look at more today than the rest, but blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your, your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Right? Every once in a while, I'm, I'm all over the place. You never quite know what's going to happen when you say something like that. <laughs> Thanks be to God. Sorry? <laughs> good, good enough. All right. So, blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, I'm going to just start, because I work in an academic world, and you just, plagiarism is the kind of thing that gets you kicked out. So let me just say, here's two people that I do a lot of reading on when I look at at a text like the Beatitudes. And I'll just name them, and then I'll pretend like I I came up with most of it myself, right? Um, Martin Lloyd-Jones and Daryl Johnson are two people that I look at and I go, okay, Something about how they've seen this text helps me to see the text. So I'll name them up front. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Here's why I want to start on that one. Because that's, to me, that is the most startling of all the promises. Maybe one of the most startling of the promises of Jesus. I work uh, in a multi-faith center at the University of Calgary. So I work alongside of, of religious leaders of kind of all of the major world religions, and some minor ones. And, and I think if I were sitting together with the 20-something of us, and we all went together, and I said, you know what, I can help you see God, they would all lean in. What? To see God? That's a pretty big promise. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, there's other promises in the Beatitudes, right? The promise that the kingdom of heaven, um, they're promised the kingdom of heaven, when we ourselves know that we're not worthy of such a thing. So good. We're promised comfort and sorrow. We're promised satisfaction when we crave uh, hunger for righteousness and justice. We're promised mercy upon mercy when we ourselves uh, have that need. We're promised the name son or daughter of God. We're promised the earth as as our inheritance. (laughs) That list of promises is wonderful enough. But to see God, to be promised vision, 
I wonder, maybe you've got uh, some contesting ideas, but is that one of the greatest promises Jesus ever made? That you will see God. So that's why, that's one of the reasons why I like this one. It seems to me that some of the other promises pale in the light of this one. And at the same time, everything else comes into focus because of this one. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, let me just uh, start with a few Martin Lloyd-Jones pieces around the Beatitudes. I don't know how much you think about the Beatitudes. I can't say it's my everyday practice. Um, But Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote a whole book about it. And uh, here's three things he says. He says, sometimes people think with with the Beatitudes, it's kind of more like the, um, the gifts of the Spirit. So the gifts of the Spirit, we say, this person has that gift, this person has another gift, and this person has a third gift. It's really great to be here because the gifts of the tech team and the music people are great. But we wouldn't, we love this guy. We wouldn't want everyone to be a Daniel, right? You kind of need different, you need different gift mixes. Um, on, this, on the other hand, you, you have these things called the fruits of the Spirit. So the gifts of the Spirit and the fruits of the Spirit. Paul talks about those too. And when we talk about The fruits of the Spirit, we don't say, we want you to be a person of love, but don't worry about joy and peace and patience, and we'd like some people in the back there to be the patient ones, which they probably have to do working with me anyway, so may they have the great fruits of the Spirit. We kind of say everybody is called to all the fruits of the Spirit, but not everyone's called to all the gifts of the Spirit. How do the Beatitudes fit? Have you thought about that? Martin Lloyd-Jones says, They're much more like this. We are all called to have all and to live into all of these beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed, uh, etc., etc., are the meek and the merciful. So we're all called to all of them. And in fact, Martin Lloyd-Jones goes on to say, and the way in which they really take root in our lives is by being, and this is actually somebody else's word, by being gospelized. We get to live into these blessednesses because we uh, take into us the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. So, anyway, that's just some groundwork. Um, We probably won't come back to it, but it seemed interesting to me, so I share it with you. All right, so here's the first question. They will see God. Can you think of stories in the Bible, if you kind of take that phrase, people seeing God, what kind of stories come up for you? Do you remember stories of people seeing or not seeing God, or or language about how and if we even can see God? Any stories come to mind? Tell me more. See, this is where I told you I was going to give you the mic, but I'm not giving you the mic. Yeah. 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 And so God says to Moses, you know, you can't see my face. So I'm going to put you in a cleft in this rock, and then I'm going to pass by, and you can see my back, right? Something like that. And that that was so much that Moses came down from the mountain and had to cover his own face because it was too bright for people to look at. So that's interesting. Moses couldn't see the face of God. Now, thinking about Moses, only, what, two books later in the book of Numbers, 
you know, Miriam and Aaron are talking with God, and God chastises them and says, well, don't you know I speak to the prophets through, through visions and dreams, but with Moses, I speak face to face. You go, what? I thought you just said just a little bit ago you couldn't talk face to face. So that's a bit confusing to me. Anyway, I'll just share that. I don't know that I've got that ironed out. Other places. Let's see, let's see uh, the musical skill of this group. I am going to sing one word and you sing the second word. It's a very old song. Immortal. Right? Invisible. So we all know this. We've sang it enough times to be able to come up with it, right? Yeah, God, it says, is invisible. Let me, t- let me read what Paul wrote to Timothy. Paul says, to the king, to the king eternal, to the king immortal, to the king invisible, the only God. And later in the book of Timothy, he says, this is the God who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. So like, how do we take serious the idea Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. How do you understand that with all this weird mix? One more. Anyone have one more story about Here's, I'll just start you off. Okay, so there's this guy named Jacob. Jacob is with his whole family. He sends them all across the river as he's getting ready to see his brother Esau, right? And then all of a sudden, he's getting ready to fall asleep, and what happens? He gets pounced on, right, by this stranger, and they wrestle all night. And at the end of the wrestling, he says, he sets up a little uh, rock, and he says, this place is called Peniel, because I have seen the face of God. Genesis, I think, 32. I think it's the next chapter. Then he goes, and he's reconciling with his brother Esau. He thought Esau Esau was going to kill him, And then when finally he sees Esau, and let me just make sure I get this, for to see your face, he says to Esau, is like seeing the face of God. So you have, in in the story of scripture, I'm just going to say, to see God feels a little confusing. You can't see God, you did see God, you've seen God, and now you see the face of your brother, and it is like the face of God. All right, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. As we kind of narrow this down, where does scripture seem to say more and more, this is what it looks like to see God? I would argue, I don't think I have to argue, I think I would just say, Jesus. I mean, it's a Sunday school answer for like the, the animal with a fuzzy tail. It's like, oh, that's Jesus. No, that's a squirrel, actually, I was talking about. But in this case, it's the right answer, right? <laughs> Jesus. Where do we see God? John, John talks about it in lots of ways. No one has seen God at any time, but the only begotten one of God has revealed him and has made him known. Later in the book of John, Jesus himself says, the one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. And then Philip says to Jesus, just a couple chapters later, show us the Father. That will be enough. Just show us the Father. Jesus says, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not come to know me? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. The unseeable becomes seen in Jesus. Now, of course, Jesus isn't here. So now what do we do, right? Well, Jesus pointed in at least a couple directions. He, for instance, I think he said things like the children in Mark 9. Whoever receives one of these children... It's like they've received me. 
And whoever receives me does not receive me, but receives the one who sent me. So it's a couple steps away, but as we receive the face and the joy and the beauty of a child, we receive Jesus, and in receiving Jesus, we receive God. Okay, so that was interesting, I thought. And then there's the sheep and the goats. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and come to, clothe you, come to you and clothe you? When did we see you sick and in prison? And when did we visit you? And the king will answer, truly, to the extent that you did this to one of these sisters or brothers of mine, even to the least among us, you have done that to me. So there seems to be this extension of our ability to see God through other things. Anyway, now I want to talk to you about a philosopher, John Hare. John Hare is a pretty big deal philosopher, focuses on Aristotle. Uh, he happened to come to a basement with me once. So I was at Calvin College, my wife was a resident director, and the students there said, we'd like to have some of our favorite professors come and tell us kind of their last words, right? It's like the last lecture. And so these students invited John Hare to the basement at 11 o'clock at night. This guy is a saint, right, to show up. And he shows up to give his last lecture. Now, he's a philosophy guy, so I thought the last lecture would kind of be like about philosophy. It wasn't. Maybe he took it too literally. His last lecture was about death, his own. He said, as I see people who are nearing death, this is what is beautiful to me. It seems like they become transparent and I start to see God through them. And here's what I would like, he said as a 50-something-year-old guy. I wonder, is it possible that we could bring that forward? Could I already become somebody through whom people see God? Could I become more transparent already. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Maybe even through John Hare. Another, another little um, thing that comes to me, at least when I think about seeing God, and that's community. Another kind of famous guy, sorry, these are all white males actually, um, C.S. Lewis, Clive Staples Lewis. He wrote a book called The Four Loves. And in that book, he talks about, so he was friends with some kind of big people, big deal people, right? So the guy who did the Lord of the Rings, J.R.R. Um, Tolkien, they were friends. And there's another guy who wrote some books, Charles Williams, they were friends. So you have ooh, all those letters, C.S. Lewis, J.R.R. Tolkien, and Charles Williams, all friends. And then Charles Williams dies. And here's the really interesting thing in The Four Loves. He says... I thought I would get to see more of my good friend, Tolkien, now that Charles Williams had died. But I was wrong. I saw less. I saw less of Tolkien. And here's why. Because as a community, there was something about Charles Williams' relationship with Tolkien that only they could open up together, and I got to see it. But now, without Charles Williams in the room, that part of who Tolkien is doesn't come alive, doesn't come out anymore. 
And so there's this sense, and he goes on to say, I think when it comes to seeing God, I think it's really important that I'm in a community. Because there's something about what I see about God that the person next to me might open up or see something different. And if all I do is focus on what I see about who God is and never get to hear about the witness of what this person sees, I am seeing less of God. So thank God for a community. And I really hope you find a way to witness to each other how you all experience God and see God. Because I think what Lewis was getting at is right. As we share our stories with each other about how amazing it was to see God, then I am blessed by that too. And and through your eyes, I get to see something more about who God is. So, there's some things. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. It's not really clear still to me, to be honest, what it means to see God. There seems to be some uh, stories that uh, don't quite align. But my guess is that some of us have some experience and intuition that these pieces of it are true, that we see God through others, that we see God by listening to others' experiences of God, that we see God. This church does a lot of that, that we can maybe find a way to see God everywhere. All right, so blessed are the pure in heart. What in the world would that mean? If you're called to be pure in heart in order to better see God, what are you called to? Well, we've got to probably start with at least those two big words, pure and heart. Because I think now, in the year 2022, when I think about heart, or when I talk, think about heart, I think about feelings. And we sometimes bifurcate ourselves and we say like, well, am I following my heart or am I following my mind? Right? And you've got to choose between your heart and your mind. And so we have a sense of what the heart is that actually doesn't match what they were talking about 2,000 years ago. We kind of think of it as one part of a way in which we come to a decision or one thing that drives our, our will, right? But 2,000 years ago, the heart was the center of all of that. The heart was the center of the thought, was the center of the intuition, was the center of the, of the will, right? It, it, was, it was the center of who we are. Everything came together in the heart. So blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are you at your, at your center, or you are called to be pure in your center. But what's pure? And that's a little complicated too. I don't know about you, but I grew up hearing in this text something I could never achieve. Blessed are the pure in heart. Good luck, Paul Verhoof. I just don't ever quite feel pure in heart. I mean, maybe moments, right? We have good days. But it never felt like I could look back over my last week and say, I did it, pure in heart. But again, we maybe have to hear what the word pure means. And it seems less to be about being without any taint and 2,000 years ago, much more about, like, unmixed. Like, it was just not bringing a whole pile of different things in, trying to be integrous at the center. So, blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those who are unmixed at the center of their being, trying and aiming for integrity or simplicity. So, here we have blessed are the pure in heart. What is it? Six out of eight of the Beatitudes? I think it's around there. My sense 
uh, as we really try to understand what blessed are the pure in heart might mean, is it's helpful to hear how the other Beatitudes set us up for it. This is from Daryl Johnson. He says, I think if you just pick one and you pull it out of context, you're not listening really well to what Jesus was doing because Jesus was kind of setting them up. So, for instance, the pure in heart. Blessed are the poor in spirit. He would say the pure in heart are first and foremost people who are poor in spirit. The pure in heart are not perfect. And they know it. Pure in heart are also those who mourn. Pure in heart are those who grieve over their own sin and the sin of the whole world. The pure in heart know that they have not arrived. The pure in heart are also meek. They cannot make it on their own. And they know it. The pure in heart hunger and thirst for righteousness. Uh, The pure in heart, again, are not perfect. They crave to be righteous. The pure in heart are also merciful. The pure in heart know their own spiritual poverty, their own grief, their own hunger and thirsting for righteousness. The pure in heart understand that, they, uh, that what they are feeling is common struggles for all of humanity. Blessed are the pure in heart. Point, therefore, is that this unmixedness at the center which Jesus blesses is actually something very down-to-earth, not something that I can never achieve. Something down-to-earth, something that's lived out right here in the valley, in the valley of our lives, not just in the mountaintops. So here's the good news. The pure in heart are not perfect. What makes them pure in heart is that they know it, and they know that they can't hide anything from God. They know that they can bring their thoughts as twisted as they might be. They can bring their emotions as confused as they might be. They can bring their attitudes as off the mark as they might be. They can bring it all into the light of God's truth and grace. I think, I think that's what purity of heart means. And it seems to echo what I think David prayed. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and see if there's any way of pain in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You can pray that prayer because you know you can invite the searching and the seeking out of God to know my heart because you know the beginning of the psalm. Oh Lord, you have searched me and you do, and you do know me and there's no place I can hide from your spirit. Pure in heart, know that there's no escape in God's presence, and so we just bring it all there. We bring it all there. Congratulations, says Jesus. Those are the ones that will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Here's a little story uh, from St. Francis. There's a conversation between St. Francis and one of the brothers uh, whose name was Leo. Leo says, um, I'm sorry, uh, Francis noticed that Leo was depressed. And so he says, Leo, do you know what it means to be pure in heart? 
course, said Leo. It means I need to have no sins, no faults, no weaknesses to reproach myself for. Ah, uh-huh. uh, says Francis, now I know why you're so depressed. We will always have something to reproach ourselves for. Right, said Leo. And that's why I always despair about ever being pure of heart. Francis said, Leo, listen to me, and listen to me carefully. Don't be so preoccupied with the purity of your own heart. Here's what you do. Turn and look at Jesus. Admire him. Rejoice that he is what he is, your brother. He's your friend. He's your Lord. He's your Savior. That little brother, Leo, (laughs) that's what it means to be pure of heart. And once you've turned to Jesus, don't turn back and look at yourself again. We always do that. Don't wonder, where do I stand with Jesus? The sadness of not being perfect, the discovery that you really are sinful, it's all so human. To focus on that is almost like idolatry, he says. Focus your vision outside of yourself on the beauty, on the graciousness, and the compassion of Jesus. The pure of heart Praise him from sunrise to sundown, even when they feel broken or feeble or distracted or uncertain. They're able to to release it into God's peace. It is enough, says Francis, that Jesus is Lord. Hold him at your center. There's more to the story, but I wonder if that's part of what gives a community like this the capacity to look all over the place. You're going to the zoo next month, and there you will see God. I wonder if that discipline or that gift of holding Jesus at the center, his life, his death, his resurrection, and our somewhat mysterious union with that, like sometimes we sit around a table and we, we take and we eat and we take and we drink and, and Jesus says, this is my body and it's for you and we somehow bring it into ourselves. That's a mystery. How are we united with God? But we are. And somehow having Jesus at our center allows us to look at, what are you guys going to look at? Uh, you're going to the zoo, giant squids. I think there's more in your month of May and you will see God may it be isn't that a gift to get to see God everywhere in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit join me in prayer Father for these people and actually for pretty much anyone we probably run into we ask that you give people the eyes to see and the ears to hear who you are. For to see God, that's a gift. More than that, it's a blessing. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. May you, by your Spirit, continue to keep our eyes open. May you, by your Spirit, Remind us at the center of our being of your love, unconditional as it is for us. Because of Jesus. 
Amen.